If you have your Bibles, turn me to the book of Romans chapter 12. We are uh, three weeks into a series on uh, being transformed from the uh, book of Romans. Uh, the first week was just kind of an overview of this idea of, of being transformed and, and some obstacles that come uh, to our transformation. Uh, last week, we explored how conformity to the world impacts our faith, and we looked at these four um, uh, four uh, myths about God and, and what we have a tendency to believe in him and how that impacts us and looked at what God's word says. Next week, we're gonna take a look at how God wants to transform how we view and how we look at other people. Uh, but today, uh, I wanna talk about a, a word that can really get kind of mixed up in today's culture, and it's this idea of identity. Uh, what, how, how do I identify uh, and that has been all over the news in the last, you know, 12, 18 months about all the different ways that we can identify and, and, and what we can identify as and everything else. But I want us to take a look this morning at, a, at a, uh, the biblical point of view uh, and, and look at how there are times that when we, uh, when we conform to this world's idea of identity, uh, that we're actually denying the identity we have in Christ Jesus. And we need, to, need God to transform us through the renewing of our mind transforming the way that we think about uh, ourselves. And so again, Romans chapter 12, and let's read verses one and two together. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, uh, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this morning, Lord, just thankful for your word. Lord, thankful that you have not uh, set us on this world apart from any sort of information about you or from you uh, regarding you, regarding ourselves, regarding the world in which we live. But Father, you have given us your word. And Father, I pray today that you would help us to uh, see that we are to be living sacrifices, Lord, and that we, you would help us to, 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 to realize uh, how good that is. That, Father, you have created us, and Lord, you know how you have made us. And Father, you have, 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 have blessed us and, and created us with, with certain qualities and certain desires and certain interests, Father, that uh, play a role in how your kingdom functions. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to see how your will uh, is, is actually desirable for us, or that you would help us to see that, uh, how good you are and, and how good your life is for us. And so, Father, we pray today that, Lord, you would help us, Lord, above all, to identify as your children. And that, God, we would know the truth of what that identity looks like and what it means for us and the practical implications of that. And, so, Father, we're thankful today that we can be called children of God, Lord, that we can know today that we are new creations, that we have the Holy Spirit residing in us, that, um, that Lord, you lead and you guide us and you direct us, Father, and all the, the slew of promises that we have in your word because you came and you died for us, Lord, and as we place our faith in you, we become recipients of those, those promises. We become recipients of those blessings, and Father, we're so very thankful for that. Lord, we pray today, Lord, for those that are on our prayer sheets. We pray for those um, requests, Lord, that may have been mentioned in Sunday school classes this morning. Uh, we pray for those that maybe are, are unspoken and haven't been mentioned. 
But Father, we do ask and pray that you be with those that are battling physical ailments, Lord. We pray for those that are battling emotional or mental ailments, Father, that you would just lift them up, Lord, strengthen them, encourage them, Father. We pray ultimately, Lord, uh, that you would heal them and deliver them from the affirmities that they are suffering from, Father. We pray for those with heavy hearts. We pray for those that are, uh, have decisions coming up, Lord, and I, I pray, God, that, that they would be able to discern what your will is, what is good and, and, and acceptable and what you desire for them, Father. Again, Lord, we're thankful for your presence. We know uh, we are gathered here together, not only this church, but churches all across this community, Father, that are come together, that are worshiping you, celebrating you, learning about you, Father. And we ask your blessings on their services. We ask your blessings on our services here for our students downstairs that are being taught. We thank you for our teachers, Lord. And Lord, we just ask your blessings on them. And God, it is so good to be able to pray. It's so good to be able to break open God's word together. And Father, we just ask and pray that you would bless our time here together. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it all. Amen. Amen. As we think about this idea of, of, of identity, uh, in psychology, identity uh, is the qualities, the beliefs, the personality, looks, and or expressions that make a person or group. Uh, and, and if we were to kind of condense that down to uh, a paraphrase, it, it's really, uh, it's how we view uh, ourselves. And there are lots of things that we use to create or, or to establish our identity. Um, uh, for some, it's interests or hobbies. Uh, it, it's, it's jobs. It's, and for some, it's even, you know, we can look back and we say, well, it's mistakes that I made in my past or it's labels that someone has, has labeled me on. I think a few years ago, we actually did a, a series that talked about some of these labels and, and, and along this same lines or we have a tendency to identify uh, with things that aren't necessarily positive aspects of our life. And then today, you throw in the, the, our culture and all the, the, the myriad of ways that even culture tells us that we can self identify. Remember about a year ago, it was bathrooms. And, and if you identified as a, however you identify, you know, male or female, that was the bathroom that you were to, to go and use. And so what we find is actually a deconstruction of of, of even the, you know, as God created them male and female. And so as we get, you know, even culture, it, it has, has kind of caused a deconstruction of even what that looks like for us. And so there's this idea of identify and, and, and Satan is waging a war uh, against identity uh, and, and how we identify even amongst you know, the, the greater population, you know, there's the argument about are you pro this or pro that or anti this or anti that. And then based on your response to that, you know, basically someone else crafts an identity for us. Well, if you are pro this, then you must be like this. And so we've just got to be you know, aware that there's all this information being thrown at us. And, and I think it's one more reason why Paul, in, in somewhat of a loaded statement, I mean, if we just break it down, it says, do not be, he says, do not be conformed to the world. And there's so many ways in which we can conform. Again, we've, we spent the last couple of weeks talking about how, how our faith can be conformed to, the, uh, conformed to the world and how we believe about God and how culture can create almost a sense of idolatry in our lives, that we serve a God who just desires for me to be happy, that we serve a, a God that doesn't care what I do, doesn't care what I believe, uh, doesn't care how I live. And, and, and that's what culture has, has uh, how it's infiltrated the church and it has changed the way we believe about the God of the Bible. 
And so it's also come in and it's changed. Uh, cultures change the way that we believe about ourselves. And so what we find is that we, when, you know, when we introduce ourselves to someone, a lot of times how we introduce ourselves is, is a way in which we identify. So I, you know, I might come and I might say, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm the plant manager of, of such and such a place, or I'm the director of sales, or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lineman with this particular place, or I own this particular business, or, or I do this, or I do that. And that's one of the ways we tend to identify, or maybe uh, you know, a hobby, that we identify ourselves by a particular hobby. But the danger comes when we start identifying ourselves by our past and our labels. And we're going to see why here in a few minutes as we begin talking about our identity in Christ Jesus. When, when, we, when we believe the labels from our past that have been placed on us, and then we begin to behave in a way that reflects that label. And that's not at all what God, God intended for us to live. And so these things can often be destructive to the way that we view ourselves and we ascribe our value through what others think about us and how we think about ourselves. But what we find in the scriptures is there's actually a, a better way, a, a more fulfilling way to view ourselves than merely by some adjectives or by what we do or, how we, or the identity that we have, someone has placed upon us, that our identity can be found in, in something greater. Uh, and so uh, I want us to look at, at identity as a, as a gift from God. At the heart of what it means to be a Christian is to receive a new identity, and remember Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, listen, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so in Jesus, you know, when we, we talk about this new identity, you know, uh, sometimes if we're not careful, we think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose myself. I'm, I'm not going to be who I am if I, you know, like, like almost like we view Christianity as being some sort of step for like I part my hair on the left side, but if I become a Christian, I'm going to part my hair on the right side and get a nice little fade and I'm going to wear a suit and tie and, and, and walk around my hands clasped and a hood over my head and just chanting stuff all the time. Like we have these preconceived notions, like if I receive Christ or if I get saved, then it's going to change who I am. But the reality is, is that as we receive Christ, it actually sets us free to be who God has always created us to be. We're no longer constrained by what society says. We're no longer trying to identify and, and meld into something that really we're not. We're able to be who God has created us to be, to be and we become our true selves in him. Uh, you see, Christ is, is our life. He's not merely the guarantee of some of some of heaven, you know, where it's a guarantee that I'm going to, at the end of this life, I'm going to be somewhere else. But in the meantime, I've got to fend for myself in this one. But instead, uh, he is the, the down payment of, by, by the spirit now as he lives in us and his joy becomes our joy and his love becomes our love, his peace, our peace, his strength, our strength. And so there's all these benefits to what, uh, who we become in Christ Jesus. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of time. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Ephesians chapter 3. It should just be a few pages. You'll find First and Second Corinthians, uh, Philippians, uh, or, or Galatians, Ephesians. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 1, I want to spend some time reading there this morning because we've got to understand how God sees us. 
I think sometimes we, we have this projection where we view ourselves a certain way, God views us the same way, and it really affects our relationship with God, and we need God to change uh, the way that we, that we see ourselves. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, begin reading in verse 3 with me, we'll read through verse 14, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ excuse me, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that is Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan uh, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it uh, to the praise of his glory. Now, to me, Ephesians chapter one and First Peter chapter one are two of the, the greatest and richest passages about the identity we have in, in Christ that we find in the Bible. In fact, if we flipped over to, to First Peter uh, chapter one, I wanna read that because I love uh, what First Peter says, and, and this is all over, all over we see our identity in chapters one and chapter two. But he said, blessed be God, and the, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So he tells us that we've been born again. Then he goes on to say in chapter two, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of he who who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so there's all this beautiful language that that Paul and Peter begin using to describe who we are. And so if we go back again to to Ephesians, in in that passage, Paul addresses the church in Ephesus explaining this new identity given to a person when they are in Christ Jesus. So according to Ephesians 1, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have have been chosen. We have been adopted. We have been redeemed. We have been forgiven. We have been lavished with grace and unconditionally loved and accepted. That you and I, we are pure and we are blameless and we are forgiven and we have received the hope of spending an eternity with God. And when we are in Christ, these aspects of our identity can never be altered or changed or shaken. 
They are in Christ Jesus, and as long as we are in him, nothing can separate us from these things. Now, the, the, the situation is that oftentimes there's a gap that exists between us intellectually knowing these truths about who God says we are and living them out. There's this gap that being between intellectually knowing these truths and them getting rooted in our heart that we actually believe these things about us, that I am pure, that I am blameless, that I'm a child of God, that God's spirit resides in me, that I have been adopted as a son, that I've been chosen and so, it, but it fails to get down in there. And so in order to live out the fullness of our new identity in Christ, we've got to determine what's hindering us from doing so, which actually varies from person to person. Many times a false belief wedged it, wedges itself between how God defines us and seeing ourselves in the same light. So for example, the opposite of pure and blameless would be impure, stained, or guilty, now, perhaps some life experience has caused you to feel impure, so you believe that God sees you that way. And that's where many of us fall, is that there's this, this, this gap between in, you know, intellectually knowing something and then knowing that to be true about ourselves, that something in our past or someone has said something about us or something has happened or maybe we haven't lived up quite to what, the, you know, what we think uh, God is desiring for us to. Or maybe this morning we're waiting for, for, to, to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior because in our past we see some of these things or been told some of these things. And we say, well, I need to get my life in good shape. I need to, to, to be a better person before I can stand before Jesus. And the truth is, is that none of us, in, in a sense, are worthy of standing before him. That's why Jesus came. That salvation has nothing to do with what I have done or what I have not done. My inability to be saved has nothing to do with what I've done or what I've not done. Instead, it's turning to Jesus who died for us and saying, you know what? I need you to take care of these things because I can't. It is in him that we find you know, purity and our blamelessness and our righteousness. It's not, that, it's not anything that I do. It's what Christ has already done, and I'm living in that. And so uh, we, we find that, that you know, a life experience has caused us to feel impure. We believe that God sees us this way, and then we create and live out an identity based on those actions, what we did back then, which is contrary to how God sees you. And so what we wind up doing is say, well, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just this. You know, I'm just, I'm broken. I'm just uh, filthy you know, rags or I'm, I'm this, I'm some label that someone has placed on me. And that's why we have said over and over again, what we believe determines how we behave. That's why we spend time talking about why we believe the things about God that we believe. Because if I believe that I'm just a dirty, rotten scandal, or I believe that I'm forever identified with my past mistakes, then I'm never going to try to make any effort. I'm not gonna believe that I can ever get out of those things or I'm always gonna believe that I'm always gonna be labeled in those things and I'm never going to see who I am in Christ Jesus because I can't get past this thing that I've done in my past or quite possibly this thing that has happened to me in my past. I'll always see myself as, as used or as filthy or as dirty and then what, and then what I do is I begin living my life based on what this past says about me. 
But the beautiful thing about the scriptures is it gives us a completely different picture. It gives us a completely different picture. When we begin reflecting on the passage in Ephesians chapter one, some of these false beliefs we live out are actually put to rest because we've got to discover this exact belief that's, that we are allowing to form our identity. So, so some of us, we feel rejected. And the Bible says that we're not rejected, we are accepted. We may feel like we're in bondage, but the Bible says that we are redeemed. We may feel under the law instead of covered by grace. We may feel orphaned, but the Bible says that we've been adopted, and it's so on and so on. And living out uh, one of those identities opposed to our new identity in Christ then affects our behavior. If we still think we are under the law or that we're rejected or any of these things, we may think we must do more for God in order to be right with him. That we must bury ourselves in, in ministry or service or other good works to feel as though we're in good standing with God instead of resting in Christ's work on the cross. And so I want to just quickly this morning, I want to spend some time talking about a few way a little bit about our identity in Christ. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but I want to hit some highlights because there is no way we could spend the next month talking about all the ways that we can identify as a Christian and what the Bible says about us and still not even begin to scratch the surface of all God has to say to us about his creation. But here's, here's some things that I really felt like uh, I wanted us to understand this morning was number one is this, that you are valuable. That when we, that in Christ, that Christ sees you, he sees something valuable. That you are loved and you are cherished and, it, and, and we think, well, I can never be that because this is what's happened or this is what I've done or this is what's occurred to me or this is what's happened to me. But listen, you are loved. If, if you stop and think about John chapter three, verse 16, I don't know if you've ever broken that down and thought about it. It says, but for God so loved the world, right? The world in which we are a part of it. He means his creation, us, for he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, he loved you so much that he sent his son to die. Now, here's the interesting thing that Paul brings to the, to, brings to the table in, in Romans. He said, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew exactly what we were, what we were going to do, what we'd already done. He knew everything about us, even before our existence, and he still came. He still came. Listen, it does not matter what you have done. Nothing. There is nothing that cannot be forgiven. There is nothing you have done that has not already been paid for on the cross. Every sin you've ever committed, every sin you are committing now that God is calling you to repent of, every sin that you will commit in the future has already, there's already been a sacrifice made for it. There's nothing left to do. There's, no, there's nothing left for you to try to live up to. There's nothing left for you to do anything about it. It is strictly you receiving God's forgiveness because he's already paid the penalty for that sin. Well, you don't know what I've done. No, but God does. And he tells us in his word, your sins have been atoned for. He, the sacrifice has already been made. But listen, you are loved. You are not getting into heaven and some people think this, you are not getting into heaven in some group policy. You know, I really didn't want JP, but JP is part of First Church. And I really want First Church because there's some really good people there. So JP is going to get in just because I want the larger group. 
It's not like that. God loves you. The Bible says that he counts, has the number of hair, knows the number of hairs on your head. And I thought to myself one day, I said, why in the world would God be concerned with the decreasing number of hairs on my head? Does he have that much time on his hands to count? No, he is that passionate about us, that he loves us that much and he knows us that well. He loves you and he cares for you. You are valuable. Second thing I want to share this morning is that you are a new creation. Whatever you were, you are no longer now. I can't tell you the amount of people that I've had conversations with that have said something to me like this. You know, they're struggling with something in their life and they say, well, you know, this happened in my past and it is what it is and it's just who I am. And I said, whoa, 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 pump the brakes a little bit. I said, are you a child of God? Yes, I said, so you're saved. You believe that, that Christ lives in you, that, that you are a child of God, that, 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 you know, that you're living for him, and that one day you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Yeah, I believe that. Then you know what the Bible says about you? That you aren't what you were, that you are who Christ has created you to be, and you are a new creation. You are not your past. Quit living in it. But that's what we do. We identify with what's gone on here and we don't live in the identity that you and I are a new creation. We are not our past mistakes and failures. We are living not for victory, but we're living from the victory that Jesus has, 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 has already accomplished on the cross. And so we are living in newness of life. Your life came to a T when you received Christ. I don't know if a T was right, but you came to an intersection, right? When you had an opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, your, your, your road was a path that diverged in the wood. And you had a decision to make. If I was going to follow Christ, my life was going to continue in a new direction. If I don't choose Christ, it follows in, the same, in a different direction. And if you chose Christ, you chose to walk in newness of life and, and, to, and to receive that new identity. And, and in fact, Paul says this, and it's a beautiful passage if you want to turn there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But he, but he talks about you know, how, how, how Christ died for us and all have died and that, that we who live might no longer live for ourselves, but for, for him who for their sake, for our sake, died and was raised. And he says, so here, from now on, it's gonna kind of branch into next week, but from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That means ourselves. We don't regard ourselves according to the flesh of what has happened in our past. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, you might need to underline this. You might, there's a pen in the pew in front of you. You might want to get that out and circle and underline and star. If you've got a highlighter, you might want to draw a highlighter heart around all this. But listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means if you have received Christ, as your Lord and Savior, you say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins. I know my sins have separated me from you. And God, I know that I need you for salvation. So please come and be my Lord and Savior. Uh, dwell in me. And, and, and we prayed that prayer and we believed that and, and we trusted in him and we're doing our best. Listen, you are a, listen to what he says. For if you are in new, if you are in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are brand new. Listen, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. 
So he's done the work, he's done the reconciliation, and all we have to do is trust in him and then live in that identity. But see, the problem comes when we don't wanna live in that identity and what happens? Conflict arises. We feel conflicted because I feel pulled in, in two different directions. I feel pulled in this newness of life, but then I feel pulled in this, in this old life. And we have a hard time breaking away from that past and living for all that God has, us, has, has, for us, has in store for us. So I wanna encourage you this morning. Listen, if you are a Christian today, walk in that newness of life. Don't be afraid to break away from the past and begin living in the bright future. Listen, we lived in darkness and Christ has called us out into his glorious light. Any of you guys suffer from like seasonal depressions? I want, don't raise your hand, but here's the deal. Like I'm looking outside and I'm so thankful today for the sun. I hate the gloom. Now, there's some people in this church, and I know I've talked to you, you rather enjoy it. Like, it's just, there's something homey about it. You just like, I don't. I need the sun. I need the light. Cold, I hate it because you can't go out and do anything in it. Like, there's just something about it. And listen, we need to step out of the darkness into the marvelous light. We need to make that conscious decision to quit living in my past, living in my sin, living in the darkness that surrounds it, and step into the marvelous light of living as new creations in Christ Jesus. You are new. Let me, a couple other things quickly as we go on. You have God's spirit in you. Romans chapter eight uh, tells us a little bit about that. Paul's book of Romans is fantastic. If you never read it, start, just get into it and read it. But in Romans chapter eight, he says this, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen, Bible tells us, listen, we can walk in newness of life. We have the spirit in us who strengthens us, who encourages us, who allows us to understand God's word and be encouraged by that and strengthened by that and purified by that. So listen, we have God's spirit in us that we're no longer, you know, we're no longer slaves to our sin and slaves to our past, but now we have become, as a, on a play on words, slaves to righteousness to the good things God has in store for us. We've got to understand that we have God's spirit, that, that we will be transformed. We've talked about this in Romans chapter 12, but I want to remind you that Paul says, listen, he who began a good work in you, and that good work begins at salvation, that he who began that good work will see it to completion. That, that right now, maybe you were a Christian and, and or you, you've been a Christian, and maybe you've fallen away and you think, well, man, God could never welcome me back. God could never do anything with me. Look at what I've done. Listen, he will see the work to completion. So come on back. Think about the prodigal son. You know, we look at that and we think, well, that's a great father-son story. Man, that's the story of us. 
We take God's blessings. We decide we know a better way. And so we run off and do our own thing only to realize how good and glorious and gracious and wonderful that God really is. And what's the Bible show us when we come back? Does God look at us like crossed arm? Told you so. No. The dad's running down the driveway with his arms spread out, hollering back to start kill the fatted calf and bring his son a robe and a ring. He's not any less of a son because he left, but his father nonetheless is overjoyed when the son comes home. So listen, you're a new creation. You are loved. You are valuable. You are cherished. God sent his son for you. We are, we are, we are adopted into his family. We are all these wonderful, marvelous things. You are, again, a child of God. You are a friend of Christ. You are justified and redeemed. You are blessed. And you are so much more. But listen, I can't make you believe that about yourself. I, you know, we were singing that song, I got an old church choir singing in my soul. I got a sweet salvation and it's beautiful. And in there a part it says, you know, that no, yet what can't be taken away from me. But here's the thing. We were created with this thing called free will. Hence the name Free Will Baptist, right? But we've been created with free will. You and I, we have a choice to make. I can choose to live in this new identity and all the blessings of it. Now, I'm assuming first that you have accepted and received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because from there, that's when we have the choice. I can choose to walk in this newness of life that the Bible so clearly tells me about, or I can choose to not live in the glorious blessings of God's presence and instead be like a, and, and the Bible says this, be like a dog that returns to its vomit and choose to go back to the very things that I've asked Jesus to save me from. And I think for some of us, that's the realization for us today is that we so desperately want to live a life filled with joy and peace and, 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 and pleasure. We wanna, we wanna know what those things are like. But instead of doing what Paul says, allowing to be, re, be, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, we've stayed stuck. We're stuck in the mud and nothing's being renewed and nothing's been cleansed. We're still living in the past. We're still living in the very thing that we asked God to save us from. We've not made the conscious decision to break from our past and begin living in the newness of life that Christ has called us to live. And so we're conflicted and we're confused and we don't understand why, why that we can talk about peace and, and love and, 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 and joy, but, I, but I'm, I'm here at church and I'm not experiencing that. And I would ask you, where are you, what, what is your identity? Are you identifying as a Christian and living as, as a child of God? Or, you, or, or and, and this is a very simple way of putting it, have I received Christ merely for the fire insurance and then asking him to bless all my plans and all the other things that I'm trying to accomplish in my life? Because what does Paul say? Paul says this, and I'll remind you of Romans chapter 12. He says, do not be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. What is, and how does he describe it? He describes the will of God as good and acceptable 
and perfect. You see, we are not going to experience the pleasure and the joy and the contentment and the fullness of all that God has promised when we are living in rebellion to God's will, wanting God to bless my plans and not living in God's plans and saying, God, help me to follow you because that's where this stuff is. This is where the good stuff is. This is where the perfect stuff is. It's in your will. And so many of us, we're trying to, like, we're, we're trying to straddle a fence. You know, we want to have some of this, you know, this old life. We can kind of, uh, you know, do this stuff. And then over here, you know, we really want the blessings of God, but we're kind of, we're trying to live with our feet in two different worlds and, and it's splitting us and we feel conflicted. And he says, listen, again, it, you know, it goes back to what we talked about last week and this idea about, about God when he says, you know, when we say, well, God just wants you to be happy. If that is your view of God, you are serving an idol. And all it's gonna do is create more conflict and tension and, and, and confusion in your life. Because the God in this Bible, the God that says, that, that says don't be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This God right here isn't so much concerned about your happiness as he is your holiness. And he knows if you will pursue holiness, you will be by and large, you will be a happier person. You will be a joyful person. You will be a blessed person and you will know peace and you will know joy and you will know satisfaction. Why? Because those things are found only in him. Found in him. And listen, I'm gonna tell you this morning, the things you desire most in this life are not going to come merely from, a, <coughs> excuse me, are not gonna come merely from attending a church. Attending a church is not gonna fix the problem. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a relationship with him. It's not merely our attendance. It's not merely checking a few things off the list. I did this, I did this, I did this. Okay, I, I, things gotta be better now. It is a relationship with the God of the Bible. It is a relationship with the living God and his son who came to be the sacrifice for our sins. It is all about a relationship. It's about God coming of us understanding that we are, we are sinful and broken without him. We receive him as our Lord and Savior. He comes in. He cleanses what's going on in here. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning, that he cleanses what's going on in here and then what happens? The manifestation of what he's done in here begin, begins working its way out into our lives. I don't keep it bottled up. I don't act like there's nothing that God wants to change in here. I know that there is. But what he's doing in here begins coming outside. And when we allow that change and that, that, that trans, transformation to take place, man, I promise you, we're gonna be like, man, I wish I would have done this a long time ago. To just allow him to come in and do his work in us. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And God, would you transform our minds that we would see ourselves the way you see us, that instead of us seeing ourselves and identifying ourselves with how we perceive, would you stand? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning.